1: Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Well, flu season has started and vaccination campaigns are just beginning to roll out. And some experts fear that it will be a severe flu season, especially with the pandemic still raging in many parts of Canada. So today we're asking, what's the very latest with flu vaccines? Hi, Susie. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi there. It's nice to be here. So how busy is it where you are today from the standpoint of flu and other respiratory diseases?
0: Well, we've seen almost no flu activity uh, so far this year, and it's very similar to what we experienced last year. And even across the province of Ontario, we're really not seeing much influenza, if, you know, if at all.
1: Why don't you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it.
0: Hi, my name is Susie Hota. I'm the Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at the University Health Network and an Infectious Diseases Specialist in Toronto.
1: Okay, here we go. Last year's flu season was almost non-existent. What's different about this year?
0: Well, we do not know what to expect this year. And, and I guess that's the, the kind of message about influenza. It's often unpredictable. And the things that are different about this year compared to last year is we're more open as society than we were at this time last year. And so the opportunities for a virus like influenza to transmit from person to person are greater now compared to last year. So it'll be very interesting to see what can transpire as we carry forth into the months where we typically do see influenza. Somewhere between November and April is our usual influenza season. Um, but, you know, we've got COVID-19 co-circulating at the same time. We've got other respiratory viruses. Very interesting time. And, uh, and you know, I think many of us are a little bit nervous about how it could look.
1: So um, that's what's different about this year. What hasn't changed, you know, compared to last year's flu season?
0: So there are things about influenza virus that we think we know. First of all, it tends to be a seasonal virus. So it likes to circulate, like I said, between November and April, uh, colder months. And part of that is because we tend to go indoors around that time of year. And so people who are symptomatic or carry the virus are able to transmit it to other people much more easily in those kinds of environments. So you know, we expect that at this time of year, we start looking out for influenza. We haven't seen those signals yet. It might be a little bit early. So I, I think that, you know, what we have continued to do this year, though, is a lot of masking. And we don't really know how that's going to impact uh, on, on the transmission of influenza as we continue to have more contacts with other people. So is the masking that we're doing in indoor settings going to you know protect us enough? Or uh, it, since a, transmission is a function of both of these things at the same time, which is going to kind of, you know, lead to more uh, protection? You know, do we need to have less indoor contacts in order to get through the season or will the masking protect us enough?
1: And and of course, Susie, there are lots of other you know places where people wear masks all the time. You know, I'm thinking you know five years ago I, when I was doing research for a book that I wrote called The Power of Kindness. I was in Japan. I was in Tokyo, and lots of people wore masks. And this was way before COVID. So, I mean, do we know anything about whether masks reduce flu transmission in countries where it's where people do tend to use masks more often?
0: We do have some data to, to suggest that, and you know, masks have been used as source control, as we, we put it. It's really to protect those around a person who does carry a virus like influenza or a coronavirus or other respiratory viruses. Um, but we're seeing here is we've compiled the data and kind of looked uh, at this question a little bit more deeply through this pandemic that the wearers also potentially uh, protected, depending on the kind of mask that they're wearing. So you're right, masks have been used in different parts of the world. Some of that is cultural and, and it comes from different kind of drivers. Um, but I think we're, we're learning as we go through this experience that it does indeed have an impact. And, and beyond just COVID-19, we're talking about multiple respiratory viruses.
1: We've been talking about masking, but we're also talking about frequent hand washing, aren't we?
0: Yes. And, you know, the different viruses that tend to circulate around this time of year, there may be slight differences in how they're actually most efficiently transmitted so we know that the respiratory route so uh, particles that come out of your respiratory system as you're uh, infected with one of these viruses is, is a very important mode of transmission for all of these viruses but the relative importance of surface transmission and uh, touching, you know, contaminated surfaces or or objects um, with the virus is unclear. So, you know, it could be that this is one of the reasons why we've continued to see common cold viruses circulating through this pandemic, whereas we haven't seen some of the other viruses like influenza going around.
1: Often, you know, certainly flu watchers, close flu watchers, when they want to predict what kind of flu season we're going to have in North America, they look at Australia. So what do we know from their flu season which just passed because they had winter when we had when we had summer
0: yes I mean it's so hard to know because again public health restrictions have varied across the globe and Ah, you know according to what's what's happening with COVID-19 they were in
1: lockdown weren't they that's
0: right and so you know I kind of feel like we've lost some of those tools to see what's happening throughout the world to help predict what could be affecting us And the other interesting part of it is our surveillance in terms of the different types of influenza virus, because there are various subtypes and strains that circulate worldwide, is also probably less accurate because we have fewer cases to draw from uh, across the world. And a lot of resources internationally have been diverted to testing for COVID Uh, cases and not necessarily able to keep up with the kind of surveillance that's needed for other respiratory viruses. So we are going in a little more blind this year than we have in previous years.
1: Okay so what's in the flu vaccine this year?
0: So every year the flu vaccine will contain two influenza A strains and one or two influenza B strains. It depends on which vaccine you get And the reason being that these are kind of the common strains that are circulating worldwide and that determination is usually made about six months in advance of when the influenza vaccine becomes available to us because it is a bit of a slower process to develop these vaccines compared to, say, the mRNA vaccines we've used for COVID-19. Um, In addition to that, there are, you know, substances that try to stabilize a vaccine, and sometimes the vaccines will have something called an adjuvant, which helps to improve your immune response to the vaccine. So I guess the bottom line of what I'm trying to say is we actually have a variety of vaccines that are available for influenza vaccination. It's always been that way, and there's slight differences between them, but they've all been, you know, well-studied, and we've got years of experience with them. And overall they function very similarly
1: i'm going to ask you to walk us through how the world health organization public health agency of canada decides what's in this year's flu shot knowing that we don't have the benefit of the usual kind of surveillance that would tell us do we
0: there still is some surveillance going on so we can't say there isn't any surveillance there definitely is uh, an effort you know and i think people recognize internationally how important it is to continue keeping an eye on influenza So typically, the WHO is looking at what's circulating in the Southern Hemisphere, what's circulated in the Northern Hemisphere in the previous season, and what circulates year-round in temperate areas. So near the equator where you tend to have influenza kind of less seasonal, it kind of goes around all the time. Um, And given what strains are predominating, that's what, uh, you know, helps them to make a decision about what to include in development of the vaccines for that year. Sometimes they're off. And the other thing that happens is this virus can have mutations very frequently. And so even though they may have chosen the right strain, there may have been some additional mutations that have occurred in that six months of developing the vaccine that make it less effective and less of a match. So this is the reason why influenza vaccines typically are of moderate uh, effectiveness. So about 40 to 60% effective in protecting you from getting influenza, which is still really important but it's, you know, not in the levels that we're accustomed to hearing now about COVID-19 vaccines, which have been very high.
1: So um, that leads me naturally to my next question. I want you, you know, I know some of the answers here, but I want you to make the case that flu shots play an essential role in keeping Canadians healthy.
0: Absolutely. I, and I do feel very strongly about this. So I mentioned that the effectiveness of flu vaccines in preventing influenza is about 40 to 60 percent on any given year. But there's also an impact on reducing hospitalizations, and in all, our estimate is about a third of hospitalizations can be prevented by getting the influenza vaccine, and it's even more pronounced, actually, when you're talking about older people, so people over the age of 70 are better protected, so you'll see about a 70% reduction in hospitalizations, and especially because influenza infection can trigger a lot of cardiac events, so heart attacks, heart failure, things like that. And that's where you see a big impact of the influenza vaccines. So it helps to save lives. It helps to keep people healthy. But another important aspect this year is keeping the healthcare system alive and able to provide the services we need. We're dealing with a a pandemic that's still ongoing with COVID-19. If we were to see too many COVID-19 and influenza patients coming to our hospitals, that could paralyze the system.
1: Susie, uh, before when you were talking about what's in this year's uh, flu shot, um, you touched on the uh, different preparation that is available for uh, Canadians age 65 and up. And I want you to say more about that. What's special about that preparation that, has manu- that is being manufactured just for them and put it in terms of, of preventing hospitalizations and, and potentially preventing deaths?
0: You know, most of these flu vaccines are very similar, um, but we do have special vaccines that we recommend for people over the age of 65, because as you get older, your immune system doesn't necessarily work as well, and it might need a little extra, you know, something to get it uh, working as well as you would if you're younger. And so there are two different options for those over age 65. There's a high dose vaccine that gives you more of the antigen, as we put it, that you need, to actually stimulate your immune system to make a good response that's, you know, going to protect you. Or there's an adjuvanted vaccine. So it's a vaccine that has an extra substance in it that also stimulates your immune system even more so that you get a bigger response. Um, But, you know, the way that they're actually developed and, and the remainder of the vaccines are very similar to what you see with all the other vaccines we use more routinely.
1: Would we call the adjuvant, therefore, a booster for your immune system?
0: Yeah, it, it, that is one way you can put it. The adjuvant boosts your immune s- response to that vaccine. So it's not giving you additional components of the the antigen. So that's the active component of the vaccine. But it gives you something else in there that gets your immune system stimulated so that your overall, overall response to that vaccine is, is greater.
1: Uh, I have a very practical question for you here. Um, I can recall when I was a vaccinator, when I was giving COVID vaccines during the summer, uh, before giving the vaccine part as part of the questionnaire, the informed consent questionnaire, I had to make sure that the patient had not received any other vaccine in the prior two weeks. I'm hearing that that may no longer be necessary. What are you hearing?
0: That's correct. So the, the NACI, which is the National Advisory Committee for Immunization in Canada, um, in the early days did make a recommendation that you should space out your COVID-19 vaccines compared to, you know, where you would get other vaccines. So Uh, That was really a precaution. You didn't want to give a new-ish vaccine to somebody who has had other vaccines in case, you know, during our adverse event or side effect monitoring, there was something that was important that came up. You wouldn't know what to attribute it to. So that was what we did in early days, but since then, uh, NACI has come out with a statement saying you no longer need to separate your COVID nineteen vaccine from other vaccines, and it doesn't even matter what kind of vaccine you're getting. So, live vaccine, you know, non-live vaccine, whatever it may be for, you can get them simultaneously if you'd like, if that's convenient for you. You can get them at whatever interval of time uh, between them as as you need to. Um, and just be aware that you might get a little bit more side effects if you're going to do that and you, you just need to monitor for that.
1: And uh, would they be different side effects or would they just be more intense uh, side effects like more aches and pains, more soreness where you where you get the flu shot, maybe a little bit of a temperature?
0: Yeah, they're very similar across different vaccines, um, you know, because a lot of the side effects that we report after getting vaccinated are really just signs of your immune system responding to the vaccine appropriately. So you can get a fever, a fatigue, uh, just feel tired, muscle aches, that kind of things. We call those systemic responses or uh, adverse events. Um, and then you, of course, can get more commonly even just swelling at the site that you got the vaccine in. It can be sore. It can get a little red. Uh, you would get these vaccines on in different sites. So you, you would be able to tell which one you're reacting to locally a little bit more. Um, so, so just look out for those. There are always some specific side effects or adverse events that are associated with different types of vaccines that we uh, monitor for as well. I guess the bottom line is just make sure that anything that you experience that's out of the ordinary after get, receiving these vaccines gets reported so it can be more thoroughly investigated.
1: There are still some people who have yet to get their first COVID vaccine. So what if if somebody hasn't had a COVID shot yet and they're going for an influenza one? Could they get both of them at the same time?
0: Yes, they absolutely could get both of those shots at the same time. And the kind of side effects that are common with the COVID vaccines, they tend to be more pronounced with the second dose anyway. So with the first dose, you may or may not get very many side effects with it. But again, commonly, it's sort of at the site of injection, you get some swelling, some local symptoms, or you just feel tired and maybe even a little bit flu-like. And just remember, because you feel that way, it doesn't mean that you have the infection. It's actually physically impossible to get the infection from these vaccines. So uh, it's really just a sign that your body is doing what it needs to do to react to those vaccines and give you an immune response that will protect you
1: later. Might there be a two-in-one flu shot and COVID vaccine in our near future?
0: There absolutely might be in the future, and that would be an incredible convenience for a lot of people. So what's been very interesting with COVID-19 is the development of these mRNA vaccines. This is a new technology that is being applied to vaccine development And now we've got some great experience with very rapidly coming out with these COVID-19 vaccines um, that have been used in millions of people at this point or billions of people at this point. So You know, it it is possible that the same technology can be applied to make influenza vaccines. And companies have been working on this even before the pandemic. Some companies are actually at the point now where they're starting to test in phase one trials these mRNA influenza vaccines. There are, I think, at least three that I'm aware of that are going into phase one trials. And they do have to show that it works, first of all, for influenza and that it's, you know, well tolerated and doesn't cause too many side effects before you go to the next step but you know you can kind of see how this might progress to then working on developing a combined influenza COVID-19 vaccine. Even better, add in RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which is another virus that co-circulates and can cause a lot of hospitalizations
1: and deaths. This is very interesting because I hadn't been following this closely enough and I hadn't heard what you've just said, so I want to clarify this. I was asking you about combining a standard type of flu shot with a COVID vaccine, which happens to be an mRNA vaccine. But are you actually saying that there might be mRNA flu shots as well and for other viruses?
0: That's right. I mean, at the current time, we can actually have somebody come forward in one clinic visit and get one jab in in one arm, the influenza, the current influenza vaccine in one arm and an mRNA vaccine, or that's what we're offering here, uh, for COVID-19 in the other arm. That is the current state. It's two injections, two very different vaccines that are developed differently. What the future may hold is having uh, one single combined vaccine that addresses multiple infections that circulate at the same time. We're talking future state, we're not there yet. But wouldn't that be nice, coming in for your one respiratory virus injection um, that will cover you for that season? And the other real benefit of that is I mentioned how influenza viruses tend to mutate very quickly. Well, these mRNA vaccines can be developed pretty quickly, so you have a greater chance of having a better match if you're able to wait a little bit longer before you have to actually select which influenza viruses you're going to make your vaccine out of. There's a series of different trials that will have to happen, but I think it would be very valuable if we were able to to get different vaccines for influenza out there.
1: So based on what you're saying, uh, I know that it would be really nice to be able to get a conventional flu shot and uh, uh, an mRNA uh, COVID vaccine in the same needle, but that's not going to happen anytime soon, will it?
0: That's right. With the actual mixing, like compounding a vaccine with our existing vaccines, so that you have one shot that's given, that's not possible at the moment. What we have to wait for is for the technology to develop a vaccine that's designed to target these multiple pathogens, these different viruses, and for it to be properly tested for how well it works and how safe it is before we can actually have that combined vaccine.
1: So until that happens, uh, if you, you know, if, if when we say that, that you can get the COVID uh, vaccine and you can get a flu shot on the same day, it would be in two, in two arms and it would be two needles.
0: That's right. It's two jabs, but well worth it.
1: Two jabs, but well worth it. Uh, last question I'm going to ask you, uh, what are all the places where you can get a flu shot?
0: So the influenza vaccine is going to be offered like it has been in previous years. You can get them at pharmacies, you can get them at your family physician's offices. Keep looking out, depending on where you live, there may be some different options. So I would recommend that people go to their public health unit websites, their ministry websites for the province, make sure that they can find them. But, you know, the flu shot's been very accessible in previous years. You know, grocery store pharmacies, wherever you may see a pharmacy, do ask. Um, because we really would love to see lots of people get their influenza
1: vaccines this year. And we hope that it's another mild flu season. Uh, Dr. Susie Hota, thank you so much for speaking with us on The Dose.
0: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
1: Dr. Susie Hota is the Medical Director for Infection Prevention and Control at University Health Network in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. The loosening of COVID restrictions means there will be more opportunities for the flu and other respiratory viruses to circulate. Depending on the virus, wearing masks indoors and washing hands frequently can help reduce their spread. Experts don't know how severe this year's flu season will be, but the best way to minimize the impact is to get a flu shot. That's because the flu shot reduces hospitalization and deaths due to the flu, especially in seniors. The flu vaccine has been tweaked for seniors to boost their immune response. Authorities like the National Advisory Committee on Immunization say it's safe to get both a flu shot and a COVID vaccine at the same time. Right now, that means two jabs and maybe somewhat stronger side effects like soreness of the arm and aches and pains. In the future, it might be possible to get both COVID and flu vaccines in one jab. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC White Coat or at CBC Podcasts using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is TheDose at cbc.ca. Please give us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Amina Zoffer with help from Rachel Sanders. Our sound engineer was Lauda Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose.
0: For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.